Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Ed Southern. He is the author of four books and is the executive director of the North Carolina Writers Network. His new book is Fight Songs, a story of love and sports in a complicated South, which is published by our friends at Blair. Ed, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Jason. Glad to be here. It's an honor to have you here, Ed. And first, before we jump into your book, uh, though we will touch on this topic as it relates to your book later, uh, can you tell me, how have you been this last couple of years? What challenges has this time presented to you as the executive director of the North Carolina Writers Network? Oh, boy, where to begin answering that kind of question? Um, well, of course, there were the, the practical challenges of um, running an organization whose primary mission is to bring writers together and provide them with connection and community when we're not able to connect, we're not able to be together, we're not able to gather in community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Zoom is great. Um, Zoom is, is a wonder of modern technology, but it's not the same as sharing space. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, trying to, trying to um, not just keep the organization going, but, try, but, but to, trying to fulfill its mission um, mm-hmm. when such a vital part of it was simply impossible, or I guess wasn't impossible, was irresponsible. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was a challenge. That was a you know, that was a challenge uh, every day. Even once we'd made our decisions, made our plans, and were carrying them out, it was still um, always at, at the very least in the back of our minds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can empathize with much of that. And and for our listeners who are unaware, uh, can you tell them what the North Carolina Writers? Network is and what you do? Sure, glad to. Um, the North Carolina Writers Network is a nonprofit organization founded in 1985 uh, that uh, connects, educates, promotes, leads, celebrates uh, writers at all levels of skill and experience, uh, working in all creative genres with all sorts of writing goals all across North Carolina and beyond. Uh, you do not have to live in North Carolina. You do not have to be from North Carolina to be a member. Um, right now, we've got well, we've got around fourteen hundred members. Um, again, all across the state and beyond. Um, mm. And we most of the time uh, support them with uh, conferences, with workshops, um, uh, uh, both in person and online. Um, we provide services, resources for writers. Um, uh, we provide a critiquing and editing service. We provide various forms of outreach. Um, so anyone who's interested, uh, and again, you, there, there's no uh, credentials that you have to have. There's no uh, publication history that you have to have in order to join. Anyone with an interest in writing at all is welcome. Uh, and you ought to check out our website, ncwriters.org if you'd like to learn more. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Ed. And listen, I know um, many of you are writers, many of you are in North Carolina, but many of you are not. So I definitely recommend checking out the North Carolina Writers Network. All right, Ed, let's now jump into this excellent book, Fight Songs, A Story of Love and Sports in a Complicated South. Your book opens right around the moment when we as American society began to take COVID-19 seriously. I am a huge basketball fan and I was watching the Dallas Mavericks game on national television when the NBA made the call to stop the season. Uh, I will never forget the look of bewilderment on Mark Cuban's face when this happened. Um, There was a similar decision made regarding college basketball. For our listeners who have not yet read your book, Ed, can you set the scene around the ACC tournament at this time? (laughs) Yeah, we were, um, I mean, if if you were, if you are a college basketball fan and an an ACC basketball fan, Mm -hmm. um, then, you know, the ACC tournament is, uh, you know, a, a big deal even though it's not as uh, important competitively as it once was, um, you know, it's still sort of a, uh, I mean, it's sort of a holiday. It's sort of a, a, a cultural marker of, of time passing. And, um, you know, I was looking forward to it. I, I was excited about it. And as I described in the book, and, and this is a moment that's so sort of, uh, it sounds like a, a scene out of a, a really cheesy movie. Um, and so I'm, I'm always worried that people are going to think that I made it up. And I, I promise this is, this is exactly how it happened. I, um, I already work from home. And so I turned my TV on to, to watch the ACC tournament that Thursday. Um, turned to the, the right channel, saw the two teams in the layup lines getting ready to start the game. I turned around, went into my kitchen to make a sandwich. When I was done with that, I turned back around and the tournament was done Hmm. in the couple short minutes that had taken me to to fix lunch. Hmm. They had called off the ACC tournament because of the coronavirus and it was a shock. It was, um, it wasn't, well, you know, I I use the word shock and I don't know that I should because it, you know, it was, um, it was a confirmation of, uh, of of what I and, and many others had feared that this thing was serious, that this was not going to blow over, that it was not going to somehow miss us in uh, in in the United States as as so many pandemics before uh, to a great extent had. That this was going to change the way that we live, mm-hmm. um, and if there had been any doubts about the seriousness of it before that moment they they were gone once that happened yeah absolutely um you know i remember as someone who definitely at that time took basketball way more seriously than i took our uh, corporate news network anchors um once the basketball, once the NBA game, the Dallas Mavericks game was canceled, my friends had been telling me for weeks, like, go to the store, stock up on things. It's going to get weird. It's like, no, it's not. And then basketball was canceled. And Rebecca, who's recording us here, actually was um, was uh, babysitting my wife and I's kid. And we're like, let's go ahead and go to the store now. Basketball is done. This is serious. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, thank you, Ed. Friends, 
This is a good time to mention the Crook's Corner Book Prize, what Pulitzer Prize winner Charles Frazier calls the coolest book prize in the country. Awarded annually for the best debut novel set in the American South, the $5,000 prize is intended to encourage emerging writers, whether published by established publishing houses, small independent publishers, or self-published authors. This year's winner will be chosen by best-selling novelist and poet Ron Rash and will be announced in January 2022. For more information, visit www.crookscornerbookprize.com. Ed, back to fight songs. As someone who grew up in the Carolinas watching the ACC tournament uh, and the classic battles between tobacco road programs, do you feel like the tournament still has the same cachet specifically among Southerners as it once did? Or do you think something was lost when the league expanded and during some years moved the tournament to New York or other locations? I think something began to be lost uh, with the ACC tournament when uh, the NCAA expanded the field of its men's basketball tournament, um, first Mm -hmm. to to, uh, 32 teams, then to 64 teams, and now with the play-in games, I think it's 68. um, Mm -hmm. So that, you know, it used to be that only the winner of the ACC tournament got to go play for the national title. so once that happened, once you had more than one conference team getting into the tournament, getting a chance to win the title, the ACC tournament began to lose some importance. Um, expansion, yeah, also uh, took took away some of the meaning of the tournament even more. Um, you know, and and I say this not as a, a criticism. I, I say this not finding fault, but you know to most, if not all, of the teams that had been added to the ACC during expansion, um, most notably the Big East teams, um, Mm. or the teams of the former Big East, the ACC tournament had no meaning to them. You Mm. know, um, if you are, you know, at all involved with Carolina or State or Duke or Wake or Clemson or Virginia or Georgia State, you know, there's – decades of history and and rivalry that make the ACC tournament important to you um, even if you know your team doesn't have to win to keep their season going um, you know there's there's you know trash talking each other at the office there are bets made you know with with classmates there's um, you know if if you're old enough and, and you're from the Carolinas you probably remember the old you know the old quarterfinal Friday when teachers would bring in AV carts into the classroom and, and school essentially shut down for the day once noon came around because, because everybody was watching the ACC tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a, it was a cultural touchstone. Um, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, and so, you know, if you grew up a Syracuse fan, a Boston college fan, um, uh, you know, certainly a, a Louisville fan or a Notre Dame fan, you know, it might be neat to see your team play in the ACC tournament, but it just doesn't carry that weight, um, you know, because our education system is driven by testing now. Teachers can't, teachers don't have the freedom to pause instruction for quarterfinal Friday. And while that may be good from an educational point of view, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's a loss from a cultural point of view. 
So no, the ACC tournament doesn't mean what it used to. And, and it's not just expansion. There's, there's a, a host of factors playing into that. Yeah, absolutely. And I can only imagine the reaction if we were to go back in time 30 years and tell some folks that Syracuse would be playing an ACC tournament game in Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. and uh, my, uh, if, if I can interject, my um, account manager for uh, my day job with the Writers Network with, with uh, mm. uh, submittable.com mm. uh, grew up a Syracuse fan, went to Syracuse. Right. Uh, as she puts it, she bleeds orange. Mm-hmm. And we exchanged emails about that one time. She said, you know, she, she knows nothing about the ACC. And she doesn't mean that as a knock against the ACC. It's just not what she grew up with as a fan. She said, you know, she remembers with great fondness the old Big East tournaments in Madison Square Garden. You know, mm-hmm. that's what, you know, when she thinks about college basketball, that's what, you know, the, the memories that are conjured up. Just as for me, it's the ACC tournament in Greensboro Coliseum. You know, mm-hmm. again, th- that's natural. It's just, and maybe someday, you know, the ACC tournament will mean something to Syracuse fans if that's what they've grown up with. It's just, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe just us old farts want uh, want the kids to get off our lawns and everything <laughs> to be back the way it used to be. I don't know. Right. Well, thank you very much, Ed. Uh, speaking of the Greensboro Coliseum, besides the ACC tournament, I also associate the Greensboro Coliseum with NWA and WCW wrestling. Uh, do you ever catch any of those matches? No, I never did. Not at least not at the Greensboro Coliseum. We had um, we'd moved from the Triad before I got old enough to do stuff like that. I've, I do have some fond memories of of some. Uh, matches at the old uh, Greenville Memorial Auditorium in, in mm-hmm. South Carolina where I spent my teenage years. But Yeah, excellent. Yeah, another uh, organization formerly rooted in the South. Thank you, Ed. Your wife, Jamie, our friend Jamie Southern, who runs Bookmarks in Winston-Salem, a wonderful store and a wonderful festival. Listeners, if you haven't checked either of them out, please do so. You will not regret it. Uh, but, Ed, Jamie is an Alabama fan. Did you know this before you married her? <laughs> yes, actually it, uh, it came up the, the first night that we met. Um, you know, it, it was uh, sort of an inescapable part of her identity. And uh, mm. in the book, I tell the story of, of the, the rather remarkable coincidence involving both Alabama football and our love of books that, uh, that preceded our meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And if someone's an Alabama fan, you, you, you generally find that out about them pretty, pretty close to pretty, pretty soon after you've met. Mm-hmm. It must be true love, Ed. <laughs> it um, is. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Listeners, we're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor. And then I will be right back with Ed Southern. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. 
Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Ed Southern, author of Fight Songs, a story of love and sports in a complicated South, which is published by our friends at Blair. Ed, you write that, quote, varsity sports are supposed to be a school's most visible but least essential feature, end quote. And you go on to write that this has long been a lie as the pandemic proved it. Can you elaborate on this for our listeners, please? Yeah. Um, varsity intercollegiate sports have um, taken on a, 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 tr- a truly outsized importance when, when you really s- step back and think about it uh, mm-hmm. in, in even a halfway rational way. And I say that as a huge, as an avid, passionate fan of college sports, mm-hmm. you know, who, uh, uh, you know, my, my TV is tuned to ESPN or one of its affiliate channels as often as to any other um, you know, watching college sports. And, and so I acknowledge my own uh, complicity in that. But, you know, even, even the, the big the money sports like uh, football and men's basketball, you know, they began simply as clubs for college kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just a fun extracurricular activity, way for them to blow off some steam. Um, and now they have become, you know, billion dollar businesses it's you know become an entire industry excuse me mm-hmm. um which far too often interferes with the mission of college education now mm-hmm. oftentimes uh you know big time college sports have have supported the mission of college education I, you know they're you know some of our our most prestigious universities really uh increased their resources and their enrollment thanks to college sports. And mm. I don't think you should deny that. I, I, I would love, I don't, I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a historian. So I don't know how you could go about doing this. I would love to see if we could somehow measure um, how many people across the country, but particularly in the South ended up going to college at all simply because they fell in love with college sports at some point in their lives and thought that looks like fun. I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, never mind those who attended college because they got uh, athletic scholarships. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, I, I, I don't come down on the side that it's all bad or that it's a, 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 an irredeemable evil, but we do have to admit that, you know, it's kind of ridiculous that college sports are this big a business. Um, and so when you hear them described as college's most visible but least essential feature, the old go-to analogy was uh, a, a college sports program is a, a, is a school's front porch, you know, mm-hmm. meaning that's what everyone sees when they go by. But, you know, if, if you, know, you, you could get rid of it and the structure wouldn't lose its integrity. Well, nowadays, sports bring in so much money and, mm-hmm. and so many schools are so reliant on 
the money uh, that, that, that both directly and indirectly comes from the athletic department, that as we saw in the pandemic, they're not getting rid of sports programs, even in the face of a global pandemic. They're still going to get those football teams out on the field. And, um, you know, they're, they're still going to honor those, uh, those broadcast contracts. Um, mm. So it, you know, it's a mess. Um, and one of the people that I talked to about it, you, you know, described college sports as, you know, they can be wretched and they absolutely can be. Um, but I don't think it's, it's something that we should do away with entirely. Mm. Yeah. There's definitely a few, um, universities out there that are, uh, basketball or football programs masquerading as educational institutions, I think. Um, and we are definitely seeing that. Well, do you think things are going to change for better or worse now that these kids who are college athletes are able to sign endorsement deals? If I were a betting man, I would say they, they are going to get worse and then better. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually what we're seeing right now um, is uh, a lot of the hand wringing that accompanied the 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 debate on name image likeness for mm-hmm. co- rights for college athletes um, is proving to be completely unfounded. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know the the naysayers did not give uh, college athletes college students nearly enough credit for their maturity. Um, Will there be bad decisions made? Yes, mm. both by athletes and by companies. Um, you know, there are several national corporations paid quite a bit of money um, to to some college ad, college football players to appear in their ads, and those football players have had terrible seasons and been benched. Mm. Um, and so it was the company that made the bad decision, not the athlete. Um, you know, yeah, there are going to be some mistakes. There are going to be some missteps. Um, I wish there had been more national leadership from the NCAA. Um, but that, that was a foolish thing to expect. Um, you know, but it's not, it's, has not been as <laughs> apocalyptic as so many pundits and fans predicted it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I write in the book, I, I've always felt that, you know, even if it did result in, you know, some kind of collapse of, of the college sports architecture. It's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it, it's bad enough that the universities can make so much money off of these athletes and they don't get a penny of it. But, mm-hmm. you know, so many companies make money off of the branding and these athletes see not a penny of that. You know, mm-hmm. how many, um, you know, you think about Wake Forest, how many, how many Chris Paul jerseys did Wake Forest sell when mm-hmm. he was here? And Chris Paul didn't see a dime of any of those. Um, that's just wrong to me. Now, obviously, Chris Paul's doing just fine. But still, you know, it, it doesn't uh, uh, belie the principle of the matter, that they're literally making money from the shirt off his back, mm-hmm. and, and he doesn't get any of it. And, and that needed to be rectified. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ed. Um, 
you quote a book called The Eye in Team, Sports Fandom and the Reproduction of Identity. Uh, because we are a podcast presented by and recorded in a bookstore, can you recommend any other books on sports fandom if a reader wanted to keep up the momentum after reading fight songs? Oh, boy. Well, I, I would certainly recommend The Eye in Team. Now, it is a work of philosophy. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's a... a it's a good read. I mean, she, she introduces some pretty heady ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, another book that was very useful to me was one called Reading Football uh, mm-hmm. by a writer named Michael Oriard, uh, O-R-I-R-D, um, who is himself a former, uh, I think he played in the NFL. I know he played college football, but I think he played professional football as well um, and is now a historian. Um I have to recommend uh, the, the, the book that I alluded to earlier, the book that kind of uh, unwittingly brought me and my wife together, uh, The Last Coach, uh, The Life of Paul Bear Bryant mm-hmm. by Alan Barra, B-A-R-R-A, uh, which is a wonderful biography. Anyone interested at all in uh, football, in college football, in Alabama, in the South would do well to read that book. Um, Let's see. I, I mean, I can keep going. Uh, if you're interested in ACC basketball, there's a wonderful book called ACC Basketball that's about – it's actually about the founding of the Atlantic Coast Conference um, by a, a writer – oh, shoot, I, I believe his first name is Kenneth. I think it's Kenneth Walker, um, who is actually uh, a historian of uh, nuclear uh, armaments. Hmm. Um, he, he's a historian of the Cold War but also a huge college basketball fan. So he decided uh, to, uh, to give himself a break from the, the very uh, heavy subjects he usually deals with and, and write this book, again, called ACC Basketball. Um, that was a fascinating book, uh, if you're into that. Um, another good one that came out, uh, gracious, I think it was in 20, I believe it was in 2020 that it came out, uh, that I didn't really use for the book, but I, I interviewed one of the authors is a book called uh, Sidelines and Bloodlines uh, by Ryan McGee, who is a senior writer for ESPN uh, and a, a North Carolina native, lived in Raleigh for a while, as a matter of fact. Uh, and he co-wrote it with his uh, brother, Sam, and his father, uh, Dr. Jerry McGee, who was a longtime uh, college football official um, in both the ACC and the SEC. And they told some great stories about, uh, well, about college football, obviously, but also about sports in North Carolina and a uh, very entertaining read. I'll stop there. But again, I could easily fill up the rest of the half hour recommending books to you. It's one of my favorite things to do. Oh, well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ed. Um, do you attribute Wake Forest's current success in football to the publication of your book. Uh, they're seven and zero as we are recording. Though publication of this interview is still a couple weeks away. Um, no, because I am not going to jinx Wake Forest's success by commenting on it in any way. Uh, yes, I will acknowledge that Wake Forest is as right now, as of right now, seven and zero. But with the, all of the uh, psychic scarring that I've built up in, in a lifetime of, of being a Wake Forest fan, um, I make no predictions. I offer no uh, correlations, much less causations. And uh, uh, certainly I'm not going to uh, gloat or celebrate in any way. 
about it. Well, thank you, Ed. Uh, I'll let you off the hook then. But I, I do, uh, I ask this question immediately following the question about your team being 7-0. and um, But do you think we should be playing sports right now? And can you perhaps let us know what folks like Lou Holtz and Hanif Abdurraqib think about whether we should be playing sports right now? Right now, um, I, I would say yes. I would say that the issue is not with playing sports. And I say that in part because um, we're, we're more than halfway through the college football season. And um, at least to my knowledge, I, I have not heard of any um, outbreaks resulting from um, college football games. You know, mm-hmm. the vast majority of college football games are played outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, for one, wear a mask um, when I go, at least when people are sitting around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've seen a lot of other people doing the same. Um, you know, <sighs> There are a lot of culprits <laughs> to, to point fingers at in, in America at the moment. I, I don't know that college sports is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that may, I may feel differently come basketball season, mm-hmm. you know, but the fact is we are playing the college, you know, we're more than halfway through the college football season. And knock on wood, again, mm-hmm. I don't want to jinx on anything, uh, but the numbers, at least here in North Carolina and in most parts of the country, are, are trending down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think you can say college sports is at any kind of fault. Now, should we have been playing last year? Mm-hmm. I, you know, if, if I say no, we shouldn't have, then I have to acknowledge my own hypocrisy and again my own culpability because I did watch college sports last year. You know, mm-hmm. I was I was a little bothered when the college football season started up. Um, but I did tune in mm-hmm. now, a lot of places, including Wake Forest. Uh, and, and in fact, I think all of the North Carolina schools, um, uh, barred fans mm-hmm. from the stadiums throughout the season, uh, which I thought was the right decision. Uh, mm-hmm. as much as I hated as a fan, other places didn't. Um, so, you know, the, the, uh, uh the Hanif Abdurraqib, quote that, that you alluded to is, is and, I, and I won't be able to get it exactly right, but it was something like, you know, um, the end of, of sports with the pandemic lockdowns caused, you know, a lot of people to, to wake up from the fairy tale of American life and that he hoped they would stay woken up from that for mm-hmm. a while. Um, I don't think they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that was the case. I think too many people if they ever were woken up from the fairy tale, slipped right back into it as soon as they could. Uh, The Lou Holtz quote um, was given in the summer during the debate over whether or not they should play college football in the fall. And he, he said um, uh, when, when they stormed the beaches on D day, they knew there were going to be casualties. Mm -hmm. Presenting that as an analogy and as an argument for, you know, well, yes, people might get sick, but we need to play college football. As if, you know, uh, uh, liberating Europe from the Nazis is at all comparable to watching college kids play a game. 
Uh, and I, I think my line on that in the book was something like, you know, the conflation of war, football, and American exceptionalism had attained nirvana mm-hmm. um, with that Lou Holtz quote. And it really, it, you know, it, it was just an idiotic thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, other coaches, you know, would say things like, you know, well, football is the lifeblood of this country. And, and I want that to be a ridiculous thing to say, but I'm not sure that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but to conflate, um, playing a college football season with storming the beaches of Normandy on, during World War II was just, I mean, honestly, it's almost a depraved thing to say. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, it's the kind of thing that Hunter S. Thompson would have just had a field day with, mm-hmm. um, it, it just, yeah, it was the sort of thing that just made it really hard to continue trying to be a, a thoughtful college football fan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I loved uh, Lou Holtz when he coached at my undergraduate alma mater at the University of South Carolina, um, but yeah. not so much um, after that as a commentator. And then uh, I went to grad well, and, and he, co- you know, he coached at NC State, too. There yeah, he sure did. Yeah, so, and I went to grad school at NC State. So I... I have experience with the SEC and ACC um, as a student, at least. Well, um, thank you, Ed. Finally, uh, we could talk about this book and the issues within it forever, I think, or at least long enough to stir up enough material for a sequel. Uh, (laughs) But I want to ask, in closing, um, as our listeners are surely preparing to come to Quail Ridge Books or Bookmarks and purchase your book, what is the fundamental difference in your eyes between fandom of an ACC team in North Carolina and an SEC team in Alabama and how, if at all, does that translate into the state's respective cultures and their responses to the COVID-19 pandemic, as I know you've traveled through both states while writing your book and now while promoting it? Oh boy! I mean, that, that's something that I, I spent 300 pages uh, uh, trying to explore. Um, if if not, actually answer that question, it, at least sort of poke around it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I would say that the difference between being an ACC fan in North Carolina and being an SEC fan in Alabama is uh, dilution. And and let me say that again because with my accent, you might mistake the word that I said. I, I said. D-I-L-U-T-I-O-N, mm-hmm. or maybe I should have said diluted. Mm-hmm. Yes, again, it's with my accent that sounds too close to a different word that mm-hmm. people often associate with fandom. Um, you know, it, it, it's, you know, ACC fandom, ACC fan culture in North Carolina has been sort of um, watered down because North Carolina um, has become such a populous and an affluent state that we've attracted major league professional teams. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got the Hornets, we've got the Panthers. Mm-hmm. Um, that draws people away. You know, the ACC is not the only show or not the biggest show in town anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, my publicist for this book at Blair is a recent uh, UNC graduate from Charlotte and she just flat out told me one time, she said, you know, I, she knows next to nothing about ACC sports because mm. she's a Panthers fan. Mm. You, know, w- w- you know, her sports fandom is wrapped up in the Carolina Panthers and the NFL, and that's becoming increasingly con- common. Um, 
in Alabama, the, the dominant question is still, are you an Alabama or an Auburn fan? And the state still shuts down for the Iron Bowl, which is the annual rivalry game between Alabama and Auburn, uh, played usually played the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Um, you know, you know better than to plan something else that day in the state of Alabama. It used to be that way in North Carolina with the ACC tournament. It's not anymore. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, that's sort of the crux of the book is, well, why, why is that? And both the difference in sports, the difference in the seasons, but also the difference in the verb tense that, you know, with Alabama, that's still an ongoing part of their culture. It's a, I used the phrase earlier, cultural touchstone. That's still very much a cultural, touch, cultural touchstone in Alabama. The ACC tournament used to be that in North Carolina. It's not anymore. What does that mean? Um, why is that? You know, and, and those were the questions that I, I wanted to explore in Fight Songs. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Ed, and thank you for writing this wonderful book. This is going to continue uh, to be a fantastic book to recommend to fans of sports and fans of the states of North Carolina and Alabama. I can't wait for you to get a hold of it, listeners. I've been speaking with Ed Southern, author of Fight Songs, a story of love and sports in a complicated South, which is published by our friends at Blair. Ed, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Jason. It was a great conversation. Once again, I would like to thank Ed Southern for joining me. Copies of Fight Songs, a story of love and sports in a complicated South, can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.